0: I hope so. I'm just getting mine rolling here. It's um, Tuesday morning and just getting back from my Hawaii trip. Uh, I had this all ready to release while I was gone and um, I had to do a little editing on it and just didn't have time. So I um, I got it all fixed up. I'm getting it all fixed up this morning. We'll release it to you guys. I did a, a two-parter. So today's podcast is with Jason Peake and um, we just gelled so well that the podcast ended up going long and so I thought I'd release it in two parts and just release it the same day. But uh, yeah Jason's just a great guy uh, really articulate and intelligent and uh, great theories and angles on on hunting. Uh, he's pretty much bow hunting exclusive, which is such a high degree of difficulty. Um, so I've got a ton of respect for that. So yeah, we just really got along well and uh, the conversation just flowed. And before I I knew it, you know, we had a, a couple hours or close to of a podcast. So um, really fun one. Uh, he had this idea to to read our Nevada draw results. So he's a Nevada resident. And uh, we wanted to read our our draw results on the podcast live. And so we both waited until we got on the podcast and then checked him. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool on the podcast. And you had uh, yeah, just a great flowing conversation. I, I really want to keep in touch with Jason. Um, you know, he also helps a lot of people on their hunts, like uh, his friends and family. His daughter has a good tag this year. And I think he even... Uh, offered to hunt with me on the podcast on one of my hunts. So um, just a super guy. Uh, You guys will really enjoy it. Sponsored for today's show is Everly Stock Packs. So I've been using Everly Stock for the last handful of years here um, on quite a few of my hunts. Uh, they just build a, a really good pack that that holds up to the abuse us hunters put them through. Packs the weight well, functional straps for for strapping everything down, uh, and they've got a different pack for for every different use. For like a, a day pack, they've got them for um, you know smaller trips, smaller backpacking trips, and then even extended backpacking trips. Um, I've been using their their mainframe, and their mainframe, you can attach different bags to it. Um, I've been using lately I've really liked their little big top and their little big top will go on the mainframe but it'll also work as a as a soft frame pack on its own and I that's the way I've been using it really like it it's pretty lightweight and uh, seems to be about the perfect size for short backpacking trips or even I've been using it for day hunting where if you harvest an animal you can fit it all in your pack and and uh, make it back to the truck all in one load Uh, so I've been using that I'm going to use their destroyer this year for for um, extended hunts and um, yeah, they just just building great packs and great warranty department. They really stand behind their stuff and and just holds up to all the abuses hunters can put them through. So uh, make sure to check them out and thanks to Everly Stock for sponsoring the podcast um, over there at Eastman's. Uh, Gosh, we're just rolling a rolling along here. We're we're coming up on our hundredth episode on the podcast, which is just crazy. I'm gonna get together with uh, Guy and Ike and Scott Reekers, Brandon Mason. I'm gonna meet up with those guys, I believe, Monday for a couple days and. Uh, we're gonna go to a couple different companies and and then hopefully uh pin those guys down on a really good, fun podcast. Uh those guys, you know, Guy and Ike are just such a, a wealth of knowledge and um they're such fun podcasts to do. So yeah, pin those guys down on a on a podcast or two and just great guests coming up and sitting on a couple of really good recordings and just excited to keep releasing these to you and um just like I, I always talk about, um this this latest trip to Hawaii has sure given me perspective on my life and what's important. I mean, I just always come back from these things so refreshed and um, just trying to live life to the fullest. So I, I'm just I, I'm just uh, so fortunate that I that I have this podcast and this platform and um, that that I have you guys as, as followers and listeners and and uh, so much support and support from Eastmans and um, I, I'm just. Like I say, I'm I'm just so fortunate, and I just want to continue to work hard for you guys to bring out the absolute best podcast I can, bringing out the best hunting information to make you guys better hunters and more successful in the field, and and also to make me more successful. Uh, I just love it with with every fiber of my being. It just it really makes me feel alive to go on these trips and and to have good friends too um all the different people I've met from the podcast but then my Hawaii buddies are, are just uh we're incredible showing me and my family such a good time taking off work and and um yeah they they just do they do anything for for their buddies and um it, it's just really fun to be around them and share a hunt with them like that and touch. They gave me all the stocks and uh, all the chances and, and just really worked hard for me. But anyways, just great guys. Uh, you know, a new perspective on life as I come back and and uh, just want to work hard and improve and and enjoy life to the fullest and, and really be happy, which um, I, I don't think I could be any happier right now. So anyways, I'm going on way too long. Let's get this thing rolling. So me and Jason Peak, awesome podcast. Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Hey, I'm live here with, uh, Jason Peak. Um, Jason is a Nevada resident and, um, he's been writing for Eastman's for years, but this is the, the first time that I've got to connect with him. Um, he, he's absolutely a fanatic about bow hunting and bow tags. Um, I just can't thank you enough for being on Jason. I'm really excited for this.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Brian. I'm excited too. This is going to be an interesting and hopefully different podcast than, uh, Than you're used to we got a lot of weird stuff it sounds like we're going to cover so
0: yeah absolutely well you're just a wealth of knowledge and i love the way you look at hunting and bow hunting is um you you just have a a different angle on on things it seems and even though we have a ton of similarities you know even just talking to you before the podcast you know you you touch on things that i haven't thought about so yeah i'm excited too i think we we do have a, a bunch of outside the box things to
1: discuss Good, good. I'm excited. Let's uh, let's see if you and I are crazy enough together, uh, or maybe people will just turn us off right away. Who knows?
0: (laughs) You never know. (laughs) I think we'll at least get five minutes, so we should get through our draw. So. This is killing me, Jason. So you had this idea or you presented this idea um, that we do this podcast Friday, the day that the Nevada results come out. And, and you knew that I was really excited about the Nevada results, and I'm sure you are being a Nevada resident. You know Nevada like the back of your hand. So we've waited to look at our draw results until we got on the podcast.
1: Yeah, and it's been difficult. <laughs> We, we've got a we've got a new system in Nevada this year. It, it in years past, everybody could kind of look up everybody else's results, and so what I've done in years past is just turned off my phone until the afternoon because people will text you and say congratulations, good job, great job, whatever, or sorry you didn't get anything. And I I, I had to avoid the phone for a long time until I had a chance to sit down with my daughter in years past and open up the results. Now we've got a new system where it's a lot, a lot like a lot of other states like where you're from in Montana where it's sort of a – got to jump online and type in your hunter ID number and pull up your account and look at it. Nobody else can see it. Um, uh, and, and typically in years past, again, they, they release the results about 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the Friday before Memorial Day. Uh, and today we got an email at 2 a.m. from the vendor that ran the draw. And it's been killing me. I, uh, that, that's been almost 10 hours ago now. So, and I've gotten a bunch of texts from guys and, and my daughter got online this morning and checked her results and she drew a really good deer tag this morning. And, um, my paralegal drew a really good elk tag this morning. I found out that this morning. And, and so it's just killing me. It's, it's absolutely insane uh how it's christmas morning it's better than christmas morning but uh yeah i'm i'm you're probably nervous i'm nervous this is this is uh the the anticipation is is just eating away at at uh what we're about to do here so i don't know if we torture ourselves a little bit and talk about a few things or if we just say screw it and start opening (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Put down> information.
0: <laughs> um, well, I'm game for both. But yeah, I'd say we discuss a little bit of our drawing strategy and what we put in for and what we're hoping to get. Um, yeah, it's just so exciting. I mean, we have the chance for some really good tags or, or just to, to have a tag in Nevada. Um, I I love hunting your state down there, and and it's been a couple years since I've been able to have a tag down there. So I got pretty aggressive with my drawing strategy this year for high country mule deer. And so I'm just really hoping I end up with one of my five choices there.
1: Good. What did you – just generally, what were you looking for? What was your, your approach and your application process?
0: Yeah, so I've hunted Nevada. Let's see. I've hunted Nevada three times now. Um, in three different mountain ranges and, and really every place I've gone, I've had a quality experience. And one of my best bucks came from Nevada, came from, um, like the Jarbridge Wilderness area and then through there. And so I really like that north side of the state, the center part of the state and, um, the east side has kind of where I focused in. And so. Um, I, I've always had a quality experience and they've always been really good deer numbers trying to find that mature deer in Nevada takes a little bit more effort. It seems like, like you can, you can go out and you can see 25, 50, even a hundred bucks a day, but trying to find those bucks that go five, six, seven years old, it seems like you have to venture and find these little hidden pockets that aren't getting pressure or down off the the main ridgeline down on spur ridgelines And then once you can find those mature bucks, then you can start to hunt them. And and so I've been fortunate. I've been successful two out of three times to Nevada. And the one time I was unsuccessful, I had a Colorado hunt falling it up. But I I just had a great hunt where I hunted one buck for the entire hunt. I had like three or four different stocks on them, and I just couldn't put it together on them. And so I I left happy with that experience as well. And so this year, not drawing a tag for the last couple – I got pretty aggressive putting in for some units that I, that I haven't even been in or explored, but just that, that look good to me and that I know hold good population. So for, for my tag, I got aggressive, and I'm looking for backcountry to go hunt. Um, what about you? What, is, what was your game plan for deer this year?
1: Well, yeah, and, and I had been uh, kind of building points over the last few years, uh, just putting in and more focused on my daughter drawing a tag. So this year, I kind of, you know, so I kind of stayed close to home, um, which uh, I'm, I live in Reno. So it's pretty competitive to draw a tag sort of right here around the immediate Reno area. Um, but this year, I kind of went out of my, my comfort zone a little bit. And you are right. There are some, you know, the deer in Nevada are a little weird. You can You can drive right by a big buck that's in a bowl right off of a main highway and go bust your butt out in the middle of nowhere and and see a bunch of animals but not see a shooter uh, and then when you're on your way back out you happen to look at the bowl that you passed on the freeway and and lo and behold you see some antlers sticking up out of the sagebrush and and you're right they're just they're 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 tough to find um and once they get into a little comfortable spot sometimes they'll just stay there forever and i know i know deer do that in general especially those old guys you know I I just don't think they like to move that much, but, uh, um, for, for non-residents, um, you know, we've got sort of a hidden gem here in Nevada for non-residents. You can put in for that Ruby Mountain area. And in the last few years, it's been a pretty good draw odd, about, about 50% for the early archery season out in uh, the Rubies, which is just, basically east of elko and it is it's a backcountry hunt and uh there's there's a main trail it's called the ruby crest trail and a lot of people will kind of tuck back in there and go archery hunt that and you can see some really big deer in velvet and you got to bust your butt and you do have to be a little bit picky and and you got to be a little bit senile to get out there and do it but um, yeah, non-residents, I've encouraged a lot of people to, to go out and try to grab up that tag. And I think they give out like 400, my last check, I think they give out, you know, about 450 tags and they can't give away all of them. So sometimes if you go through the first draw and you don't draw anything, uh, there is a secondary draw that Nevada has. Uh, and sometimes there are a few of those archery tags for that early season left over. And it's a great first part of the season hunt. It usually starts that uh, second Saturday of August. So you could be out on the mountain, um, you know, that August 8th-ish. I, I can't remember specifically what the date is this year. But um, you could be out there, you know, a lot of other guys are just still getting ready for their hunts where you can actually be hunting up in the high country that first week of August. Um, chasing good mule deer and they're still in velvet and uh, a lot of really good big quality deer and they're old deer they just kind of come up from the ranches and they'll spend the summer up at 10,000 feet and wait till the snow pushes them back down and you see some really pretty country and you see some really interesting animals running around and you know you any luck at all and you bump into a good buck and you get one on the ground and then the fun starts you get to hike him out and you know you get to pack him out and all that stuff but um it's good to hear that you're you're focusing on the right parts of the state too it sounds like you're pretty well dialed in some of the areas jarbage is a great area it's a really fun area to hunt um you don't get a lot of pressure uh, back there during the archery seasons i'm sure if if you if you Did it like I know you probably did it, Brian. You probably didn't see anybody for the whole time you were up there. If you did, it was just a real quick passing deal.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I didn't see uh, any humans until I was packing that buck out. Yeah, like Day 9 or something like that. But you're you're right <laughs> yeah. about that, Rubies, and that's an experience. Like there's these experiences out there in the 48 that I say everybody has to try once, and the Rubies is one of those. It's just, it's vintage Nevada hunting as far as the, the drier um, high country mountain range. And it does get quite a bit of moisture in the Rubies and greens up, but it's just got a, a bunch of these white rocks and boulders everywhere. It's pretty gnarly extreme country, and with that tag as well, you know, they do get... Give out, um, you know, quite a few tags for that area, like you were stating. Um, And a lot of people do hunt those rubies, and you can get away from the pressure in there and find good hunting. But along with that, you get about seven other units that sit in that northeast part of the state where if you got time to explore some of those isolated mountain ranges, there's pretty good numbers in in all those ranges around, and you can kind of get away from that pressure even more. And that that tag, there used to be leftover tags for it, and I used to soak those up. But over the last couple, two, three years, it's even getting tough for us non-residents to get a tag there um, yeah
1: yeah yeah it i know used to be almost over the counter for non-residents about eight years ago i mean it wasn't it was. they, they couldn't get rid of them um so yeah it was a up until you're you're probably right about three or four years ago they started to sell out um and then you'll see a few of them uh that'll pop up on the secondary draw yep uh, i drew it once on
0: the on the second yeah. draw so yeah what that is is they allocate for residents and non-residents and so all the non-residents ones were drawn but the resident ones there wasn't enough residents that put in for the tag and so there's a leftover amount and then they put those in the second draw um and and yeah usually there was tags that would come available in the second draw and you're right it was like it was like a over the counter for non-residents but it it has picked up a little bit in popularity and a little tougher to draw but it's still a high country mule deer hunt that you have really good odds of drawing and you're going to go have a quality experience so i'm with you i think it's a a great unit that everybody should experience once in their lives
1: oh yeah absolutely and and um it's not a it's not an area where you need to do a ton of scouting um because once you get to about the i don't know about the three or four or five mile mark uh on your hike in regardless of which direction you come in you're going to start seeing animals and, and you're going to start experiencing what the rubies had to offer. So it, it, it doesn't require a ton of scouting. What it requires is a bunch of preparation ahead of time and just talking to guys like you and, and myself and others that have hunted it uh, and, and just knowing what to expect and what to prepare for on the way in and on the way out. Uh, because while you're up there, you're 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 pretty locked in. Everything seems to come together, and um, it's not a place that's hard to move around. So if you spend a day or two in a drainage and you're just not seeing what you want to see, it's it's not hard to get mobile and and move one direction or the other to get into animals. Um, but it it it's so you know people that are spooked about getting up there and and not knowing where to go to find the animals the animals are up there it's not that it's just being it's just a different hunt you end up taking I'm sure you did this too you went up there and you wish you had a few things that you didn't bring that you didn't think you'd need and then you got up and, and then you had crap in your pack that uh, you, you you thought you would need and and it just took up space and and weighed you down a little bit so uh, talking to people um, and kind of having an understanding of what to expect going in and coming out, that's more critical, I think, for that hunt, especially as a non-resident. If you're somebody that's not from Nevada uh, and you end up getting that tag, it's not hard to pick up the phone or, or, or shoot an email to somebody and just say, you know, hey, I, I need a little intel on uh, uh, not so much where to go, but what, what I should be worried about, and then off you go. You know, it's, it, it's a like you said, it's a pretty good out of state quality hunt and if you want to really stretch your lungs, there's not many places that are that are taller and, and better than going out in the rubies. So
0: Oh, absolutely. Um yeah, you you make a really good point and that's why I wanted to get you on the podcast today, Jason, was just to talk about preparing for these hunts as we're looking at our You know, we're going to look at our draw status here for Nevada, and as drawing results are coming out across the West, you know, guys are starting to find out that they have an elk tag or a deer tag. And and, and now it's about putting in the work and preparing yourself so you're ready when that season comes. And so I thought you made some really good points about the ruby that it's not so much scouting, you know, trying to find where the bucks are in that mountain range before you go, you know. And also the season, you know, opens August 10th. And so you're getting the absolute best dates to hunt high country mule deer before they start to shed their velvet, start to move to secondary living. You know, I have found that in the higher pressure areas in Nevada, the deer do act a little bit different after August 10th, that they kind of know that they get hunted around that time of year every year. And so they kind of work out of those those higher alpine basins and work down the ridge lines and work down a mile or two where you have to put in more effort to find them. And, and that's like with a lot of spots, um, you were talking about that, you know, finding a buck off the highway in a bold basin and you look over there and you find velvet horns and, and these deer and these, these animals, they start to get to know the pressure and they know any place where they get a stock put on them or a hunter has a close call, you know, that's the pressure that forces these deer. To move to their next spot that they live, and when they finally find a spot where they don't get pressured, where they don't get pushed out of, where they can live this this lax, they have this lax alpine. Uh, attitude where they can, you know, really focus on feeding and and putting on fat and growing their antlers for the rut. Um, you know, that's what these deer find. And I found those spots also. Sometimes those are spots that are really tough to glass. Like any spot that's easy to glass, where you can pull off a dirt road and throw up a scope, people seem to find those ones. You know, but the the basins that are just off that you can't glass too easy, or maybe you you got to really work down to get a vantage point. That's where I'm finding more of these mature bucks and the it seems to me do you find the same thing
1: yeah yeah and i would hate to know the number of deer that were, were hidden in a bowl just over the ridge that i didn't glass <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, I, I i i would hate to know the number and the size but you're right they and and i think that's consistent with deer for the most part everywhere i think they'd go find their nice little uh, easy resting place. They're, 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 you know, deer, just like everything else, their main focus is just to survive. So all they got to do is worry about predators and worry about where they're going to get their nutrition and everything else just kind of is secondary. They don't have to worry about paying bills or getting their kids to their soccer practice or any of that stuff. Their number one goal is just to avoid predators and, and eat, so if they can find places like that, that predators aren't getting to them that easy, and they've got all the other stuff that they need just to kind of keep their belly full and keep warm, uh, they're going to hang up there and they're going to stay there. And I, I agree with you, too. I think there's something a little bit more to um, they, they've they got a calendar in their head. And, and they maybe they have Internet access or something, but they always seem to know right when the season's about to crank off, and they start moving and they start getting nocturnal and they start hiding in their places where they know they're not going to be bothered. Um, and and I agree. I, I think there's something to uh, – Mother Nature is helping them out somehow, some way because they, they do get uh, a little bit more um, protective of themselves, I guess, is the – the best way to put it but it is interesting that you say that and and i don't i don't think that's probably unique to nevada either i think that's pretty much anywhere i think that's just here in general but um more so in those in those alpine areas i think um as long as there's not a, another predator in the area you know like a mountain lion or something like that uh, i think the weather is what pushes them around more than than any human contact or anything like that so you get up on those high alpine spots and uh you 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 just kind of stay as low-key as you can uh, and just kind of be very uh observant of everything that's going on around you you'll find those big bucks i think you'll 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 see them you'll find them and you'll start to pattern them and you'll notice that they've got their habits just like everything else does um and unless there's something that's going to spook them out of there the 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 only other thing that i think is going to move them out is going to be weather I don't think much else is going to push them out of those areas in August. Um, I, I do have to say that being up in the Rubies, I've been up in the Rubies hunting in mid- the middle of August, and it snowed on me. Now those deer are kind of built for that; they're not going to worry too much about a day or two of, of snow on them. Um, but yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, once, once they can feel the sun getting a little bit lower and the nights are getting a little bit cooler and that rut's coming up on them, they start to get out of those higher alpine areas and moving lower, like you said, and, and they do, they get harder to find. Um, but yeah, if you, if you put your legs to work and get up high, most of the times, once you get there, then the work is almost done. You Start finding more animals and can pattern them a little bit easier. They're kind of in their routines a little bit more and not much is going to push them out. So
0: yeah well yeah they start to tighten up their programs a little bit and i think also you know they start to shed those red coats you know those red coats they're really easy to pick out And they start going gray <laughs> yeah and those mule deer are really tough to see and in the nevada deer you know just like any mule deer across the west but they're not afraid to hide in the wide open some of those isolated mountain ranges you guys have you know there won't be a tree for miles and those those bucks will find uh little spots where they can lay in the shade or hide in the sagebrush and the they're not afraid to hide in the open, but you do you um, you'd mentioned, you know, just taking your time, getting your elevation up high, and, and then just really spending time behind your glass and, and being you know low impact up there. You wanna make sure you're not skylining yourself. Make sure that you're not walking through the middle of good mule deer habitat, like the middle of those basins where they want to be living. And, and you kind of you, – you peek over ridgelines here and there, and you sit down, and you glass, and you just kind of pick it apart. And, and, yeah, you pick out those bucks, and especially if you're a bow hunter in that early season – you know, the bucks do tighten up their programs and do start to feed more nocturnal, but they get up throughout the day and they change beds and they'll feed around a little bit, You know, especially more so than, than right before the pre-rut or right before the rut, like in October where they really go nocturnal and shut it down and hardly show themselves during daylight, you know, out in the open. But that early bow season, you can catch them throughout the day kind of changing beds and shifting around or maybe getting a bite.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it's warmer. Yeah. in in August, when it is warmer, um, you know, they'll get up and they'll be in bed uh, by eight or eight or so in the morning. Um, but man, that sun, that sun will shift on them and their bed was in the nice, cool shade and they're all tucked into some nice, cool dirt. Uh, but then that sun climbs up about 11 or 12 o'clock and all of a sudden they're sitting right out in the open uh you're right they do get up and they'll move around a little bit um or the you know the rock ledge that they were under uh all of a sudden that sun starts hitting that rock ledge and man it starts cooking even if they are still in the shade so they'll get up and move around or even just to swap ends you know they'll they'll just get up stretch move around a little bit and uh, i'm i'm sure you've done it a hundred times too where you'll you'll glass the heck out of an area and out of nowhere, you you just happen to have a, a buck fill up your glass, and where the hell did he come from? I don't know where he came from, but whether it was he just he was in a spot where you couldn't see him, and he stood up and he's stretching and kind of moving, or he's moving to some shade, or he's swapping beds or whatever. Um, yeah, that's it, it. It happens quite a bit, so that's a benefit of hunting a little bit in in, in a little bit warmer weather is they do, they, they'll move a little bit more during the day. And, and, you know, in, in hunting other States, I've, I've hunted in Arizona a little bit too. And, um, you know, during the, during the summer, they'll go to water in the middle of the day, you'll see a a buck coming down out of the mountain to, to go down to the stream at at 10 or 11 in in the, in the morning. And then again, at two in the afternoon, just to water, and then it'll go back up to his bed. So you never know in those warmer months, even at elevation where the, the temperature is going to be a little cooler, they'll, it, it does push them around a little bit. That sun and that warm weather can get them going. Uh, especially like you said, when they're starting to change out their coats a little bit and, and shedding that red coat and starting to put on that, that big beefy pelt they got.
0: Yeah, that gray coat shirt sure blends in good, but, um, oh, yeah, you, you mentioned those deer moving their beds, and I think that's across the board as well. And I, in all the high country states, you know, you mentioned Arizona, but Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, Idaho, like all these places, these deer have these same tendencies in the high country. And and you can almost count on it that those bucks like to change beds. And so I don't like to stalk a buck in his first bed. When I'm sitting on a vantage point, I'll spot a really good buck. And he may bed down sometime between – and it depends. Sometimes they can be bedded at first light. But a lot of times, 8.30 to 9.30, they're going to find mm-hmm. their first bed and they'll lay down in the shade and they'll lay there. And I – uh, as a rule, I usually will not stock that buck in his first bed, you know, also because I want the directional winds to come up to kind of cover my sound. Yeah, I, yeah, I want the yeah. thermals to get stronger uphill. But But all of that is, you know, is mainly because those deer will change beds in that mid-morning, that – you know nine thirty to eleven thirty it seems like those deer want to get up, and sometimes they just switch a bed inside the timber or inside the the basin that they're in, and then sometimes they'll go more than a mile up the hill and gain a thousand feet of elevation and bed in a totally different location and so I like to really wait for those bucks to find their their afternoon bed before I'll make a play on them. Do you find that as well?
1: yeah yeah and i i I think that's that's a very good point but uh, secondarily um i don't like to go in on them right when they bed too because number one like you said you might you might lose them during your stock and then when you get there you're stocking on an empty bed and you don't know where the heck that deer went but number two it's good to let them get settled in you know i i've uh, I've slept on deer before, you know, give them a couple hours, lay down and take a nap. If they do bed in that area, uh, let them get comfortable, let them get settled. Um, let those winds get going the right way, but let them get settled in. So yeah, I think giving them some time, uh, you do two things. You, you make sure that that's where they're going to bed down. And then number two, if they do get up and move, you're on them you know it, they they make another mistake and, and get into a spot that's dangerous for them you're there to, to capitalize on it so i i agree with you i don't i'm not a big fan of hey he's better he just laid down let's get going you know it's it just doesn't seem like that ever works out because he'll get up and move again or he's not settled in and you make one sound going in on him and he's he's on alert and he's up and gone or um, yeah, the 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 patience game, especially for bow hunters, the the patience game, it, it it's it's very beneficial to sit on a buck and and let him get settled in or see if he moves. And if he goes to that second bed, I usually don't give him that much time on that second bed because I think you're right. I think once they they get into the first bed, it's not quite what they want. They go to another spot, and either they they find the right spot or they're just they just don't want to get up and move anymore. So they make do with what they got. But, um, in that first bed, I think it's always a good idea to sit on them and and let them either get comfortable or see if they don't get comfortable and get up and move. Um, just, you know, so many times I I run in and tried to get, Something put together on a buck that just bedded, and it doesn 't work on that first bet,
0: yeah, um, you know elk are meant to be hunted aggressively, but but mule deer are really meant to be hunted uh, patiently you know i always I have this saying when i 'm hunting bucks is I always say patience kills the buck, and that 's whether yep. you 're choosing a stock on the stock, but the mule deer you have to hunt them. So, so methodically and slow and planned out and precise and so quietly, and you're just not allowed to make any mistakes, it seems like. And so, I really love that chess match back and forth of uh, uh, trying to get that right. And, and like you said, just watching that buck and staying with that buck and a good vantage point, the, like the longer you watch and wait on that buck and maybe even his second bed he's not in a good spot but if you can just be patient that that buck will put himself in a bad position he'll make a mistake and if you're there watching and waiting you can capitalize to where if you rush in the first time you see that buck and blow him out of there you know you you ruin all chances of killing him or you you, you sure are gambling by that that high pressure right. approach to him it seems
1: like yeah. Yeah. And that second bed, if you blow him out of that first bed, that second bed ain't going to be as close as if you'd have just let him kind of do it on his own. <laughs> you know, he'll, he'll be a few miles away if that second bed is established because of something you did versus something he, he just didn't like. So I agree. You got to, you just have to be patient. And, and that's something that bow hunters, you know, that they, they certainly have over most other hunters is, Man, you got to be patient. Everything's got to be right. A lot of things got to go right for us.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, it's killing me, Jason. Should we look at these results and see what we ended up with?
1: I was, I was just going to say the same thing. I, I, we did get distracted. I, I, I wasn't preoccupied with it. I, I hope it didn't come across as I was just trying to hurry through and get some through some of this stuff so we could get to the results. But yeah, man, I, I, I got the the email up. Everything, everything's ready to go here on my side of it. If you've got yours up, I. I say you go first. You're the host. You're the guy with the the uh, uh, the good non-resident uh, potential to draw the tag, and I think everybody's probably going to want to know about yours more than they're going to want to know about mine. So,
0: <laughs> well, why don't
1: you open just... your email up first?
0: <laughs> okay, all right. I've got it open here. So. Oh, I did it. I uh, I ended up with a non resident mule deer antler result. Successful. Oh, right ah, on. Baby, good. Baby. Oh, cool. What's your
1: date? What are your dates?
0: Uh, August tenth to September
1: ninth. Oh, perfect.
0: Yep, yeah. and it's a. Uh, it's a good unit I chose, like we were talking about, more in that center part of the state. I don't think it was my first choice; probably down around third or fourth choice. A place I've never been, but a place I'm really excited to go to. I, I looking at these mountain ranges, they they really lay out the way I like for hunting mule deer in the high country. And this unit is close to some units I've hunted before. So, man, I am pumped. So that's a uh, that's my plan for good August 10th. Now, man, am I excited? That's really cool.
1: <laughs> what How many points did you have then?
0: um so I hadn't drawn for two years, so I was sitting on two points okay
1: okay yeah. good well good. What, and, and, uh, and, and and was it a was it a spot that um had a you know were were you thinking the odds were gonna be a little bit long for your two points, or was it something you were kind of right in the wheelhouse for?
0: I think it was right in the wheelhouse. I got pretty aggressive, so yeah, I was figuring I'd draw one of these tags, one of these places, but this was definitely higher on my list. This has got to be. This probably isn't my fourth or fifth choice. This is probably my second or third choice. I really liked how this one laid out. So, yeah, northern part of the state, man, that is just awesome. I love your guys' state for high country mule deer. (laughs) It is one of my favorite places to hunt. Um, So I'm super excited. I I didn't draw sheep and I didn't draw elk, but that's okay. The the one I was really after I got. So, um, well, good. I hope the good luck continues.
1: All right. You ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Oh man, this is this is that <laughs> it's like sitting on that buck and watching him rock forward and you know he's gonna stand up. All right, let's see. Nothing on Silver State. I put in for all the Oh wow, I got looks like I got blanked.
0: Oh no, oh, that's no. too bad.
1: <laughs> well good. Looks like I'm going with you. Let's see. Let's see. Lots of not-successfuls. Yeah, looks like I got blank, Brian. Dang
0: it. Man, that's too bad, Jason. It's no, These tags okay. are – well, you handle it The – I'm sure you've handled a lot of unsuccessful over your years of uh, uh, putting in for applications. But, um, yeah, it's these tags are just getting tougher and tougher to draw, aren't they? And, it, like, we, when we do end up with a tag um, – we really can't take it lightly like you you gotta really try your hardest to prepare for it and enjoy the experience and embrace it you know because they they don't come as easy as they did in years past but yeah sorry to hear that man you didn't draw but you are welcome with me
1: oh don't worry you're you're uh looks like i'm gonna be carrying your pack for you (laughs) no that's okay i i I did like i said i kind of I, I sort of took a couple of different chances on some stuff and in the sheep tags, there's just so hard to draw. You know, I've got, I think I've got 17 points for the, uh, all the three different sheep we have in Nevada and uh, the goats, the mountain goats. And so, you know, it's just really competitive for those, those bigger animals. And of course, cause I'm on the uh, wait list for, elk i didn't get a chance to put in for that and then this was the first year that i could put in for antelope again after my waiting period ran so i had zero points on that one um but you know i'm I'm a little surprised on the 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 deer um because i did i did try to be a little more uh selective on or i i I try to be a little more uh uh, not going for the lottery picks you know i i had a, i think one or two safe picks that i had tucked in there so but that's okay hey you know what i've got i got you i got my daughter i got my paralegal everything's gonna go good so we're gonna we're still gonna be able to pull some stuff out of the mountains i hope
0: yeah, for sure. Yeah, congratulations to your daughter. That's going to be a fun hunt. Um, yeah. Well, and there's you know there's uh, and then a guy has to look towards the over the counter opportunities, and it's a it's a little early for that as we just found out our tag results. But you know there's some good high country mule deer hunting just north of you there in Idaho. I found a good unit in there last year. So yeah, if that's something you're interested in too, you know, let me know. Have you ever hunted Idaho for deer?
1: I have not, and that's something that you know that that's uh, I've, I've got. Idaho and Utah, that is, those are the two states that I, I, for one reason or another on the, on the West Coast, I just haven't hunted them. And, and I don't know, uh, a lot of, of the country in either one of them, but this year, um, I did focus a little bit on Utah and, and Idaho is definitely on my list. I know they've got some good deer units. We've got a, a kind of a, a neat opportunity I guess you'd call it um up there in kind of in the northeast portion of our state and then it would be Box Elder County in Utah and then just to the north is a pretty decent unit in Idaho and a couple of years back I looked at and and tried to apply for uh, all three of those tags and talk about getting Uh, one heck of a hunt put together uh going around and just jumping from one state line to the other state line and and making sure that you know you're within season dates and all that stuff but uh, man you could right right there in a real tight area uh, you could hunt three different states with three different tags if you were lucky enough to draw all three and um talk about an epic experience i don't i don't think I, i at least when i tried to plan it out I don't think you could hunt three successive weeks, one week in each state. I don't think that was possible with the way the dates ran, but yeah, that's something that I've been interested in trying to pull off and, and that Box Elder County in Utah, I know is a fairly decent unit. Um, there can be some decent bucks that are in there. And then on the Idaho side, it sounds like there's some good animals up on that side too. So yeah, yeah, uh, uh, the, I, Idaho would be a great, a great opportunity, obviously. And it's a, such a nice, easy drive to get up there you know it's not that far for us so
0: yeah i don't know why idaho was my last holdout of the western states to hunt as well i was just kind of overwhelmed because the big bucks came from everywhere across the state and i had a tough time kind of pinpointing where to go but i i finally i didn't draw any mule deer tags last year and so i dove into idaho last year hunted it in the high country and ended up harvesting a really nice buck and found some really cool high country spots and a a place I definitely like to go back and it's over the counter and so that was really neat and then um I saw a lot of elk like just scouting and after I harvested my really? deer, my cameraman um he had a deer tag as well, and we kind of switched places and so I killed my Idaho deer, got him back on ice, got out of the high country, and we kept hunting and, and we just saw. We saw the 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 bull that I dream about harvesting, the one I still want to get with my bow, just that three sixty plus giant bull. And he was just feeding in this bold basin this one night, all by himself. He, you know, we were probably forty minutes away from him and had an hour and a half of light, and it was just like, I know we can kill that bull, but neither one of us had a tag. And so that night, we drove half the night to get Dan to Walmart so he could buy an elk tag, and then we went in and started hunting that bull. It was over the counter, and we started turning up six points in there, and the hunting was really good, and it was – early september and they weren't really rutting yet but there was nobody hunting and and the bulls were in that pre-rut behavior where they were just kind of feeding in places and and kind of starting to travel country and get ready for the rut but but we put on some good stocks on bulls and my buddy dan had a really close call and you know we were just by that point we were seven eight days into the hunt so we were kind of you know running off fumes you know to go hunt those elk but he got really close on a nice six point so We're talking about maybe trying to go back there this year and trying to do a little elk hunting, but um, what I was going to say is that Idaho, the opportunity they have too is with one tag over the counter, you can hunt their high country stuff September 1st and and do a good experience there, and then they have units that open late where then you can hunt them in in November and December during the rut with your bow, and these units are, are bow you know, bow only in these units. And, and right, we found right. some good hunting with Dan late, um, you know, in the, in the December hunt or in the November hunt, um, there's some good opportunity there. And so it, it's pretty cool too, when you get a tag that's good for multiple seasons, you sure get a, get a pretty good bang for your buck being an out of state guy.
1: Yeah. 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 Those are, those, uh, those little opportunities, that's, uh, they're fun. And, and, Good for you guys, and taking advantage of that, and kind of on the fly being able to change up things, and that's just knowing where you're hunting, right? I mean, that's just a the the preparation you guys put in, knowing that that tag was available, and you bump into some animals. Heck, let's run down to the store and grab a tag real quick. Yeah, um, it that's was. just being smart and knowing what you're in. So. Good yeah, for you guys.
0: Yeah, well, it was really cool, and that wasn't the only unit that we saw good elk numbers in. We saw good elk numbers in the first unit where we were kind of hunting mule deer, and, and we knew that was over-the-counter. We didn't see that giant one that forced us to go down to the store and buy a tag, but we did in that <laughs> in that later unit. And, and, yeah, you're right, just knowing that it was an over-the-counter elk tag that we could get, um, and, and – Idaho, you know, they're not too expensive for their tags. You know, I think a deer's tag still runs around that 3-400 range, but their their elk tags are fairly reasonable. I believe it was like it was under 500, I think. I think it was like 450 or something like that. Um, I
1: think you're
0: right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for, you know, like guys like you that are in these states where elk tags are really tough to draw, but you have these really quality experiences. Some of these over the counter places, uh, you know, can be really good hunts. It's just about putting in the groundwork and figuring out where the critters are.
1: Yeah. 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 And, and or bumping into them like you guys did. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're out there lucky. messing around doing something else <laughs> and then bumping into them when you're when you're kind of goofing around. No, I it, agree. I I think that's. It's just knowing where you are, and, and some of it's luck, you know, but it's also putting yourself in the right spot and knowing what's available, and um, a lot of guys wouldn't think about, you know, checking the regs to see if the, the, the other species in the area are over-the-counter or if they're limited draw or whatever, you know. And just
0: being out you kind of like you do get lucky and spotting animals or picking animals up here there but it is just being out and and hunting and and spending your days traveling country putting in miles grabbing those good vantage points and and then you just start to turn up these animals but you're you're right is uh what you say turning up animals by accident I always do that. If I'm hunting elk, I find (laughs) mule deer. If I'm hunting mule deer, I find elk. I don't know why that is, you know, but it it just seems to be a rule of thumb for me is, you know, when you go in for one species, you find the other, but it's good to take take tally or take tabs on that to maybe get a future tag, you know, in in the years coming up and know that, you know, if it is a draw unit, well then I can apply for this unit because I, I've seen good elk numbers in here and I know it'll be decent elk hunting or, or vice versa. So yeah, it is taking advantage of your time of field um, and, and, you know, paying attention to the animals you spot and the tags that are available.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I don't think there's uh, there are opportunities like that everywhere. Every state's got opportunities like that, you know, where where you just happen to stumble into something. And and how how fun was it when you realized, holy cow, this is an open unit for elk, and we just saw a really big elk. Let's run down there. I mean, that that had to be kind of a surreal experience. It's almost like you know, some, somebody giving you the keys to the candy store. All of a sudden, you you. you you got another opportunity to just smack you in the face, and everything seemed to kind of fall right into place where it was supposed to fall.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we we did. Um, the, there was radio, the music was blaring on the radio down to Walmart. Yeah, we were in a pretty good mood. Like you say, you feel like you you got the keys to the candy store. Uh, bow hunting is is. Um, it it's so much about it is is just getting opportunities and chances and you know you're going to make mistakes and you know you're you're trying to put put forth your very best foot and and put together quality stocks but it's not always going to come together and you're going to need a few of those opportunities to close but um I always think bow hunting is just all about creating those opportunities getting those chances and that's when things come together and so when you when you have like the fun of bow hunting is trying to get close and that strategizing and, and trying to move in that thrilling excitement of being in close range where it might happen. And so when you get a chance to create those opportunities, um, it's about as exciting as it gets. I haven't found any rush like it.
1: Yeah, no, no. And, and I think there's, uh, that that's something that we get to experience as bow hunters that, you know, every, everybody's kind of got their own approach to, to when that happens and how that happens. But, um, man, it's it's uh, when you're when you're in that experience, a lot of times it's almost you're thinking about all the stuff you you don't want to do versus all the stuff you want to do, um, which is you know that kind of the mental side of it that we talked about a little bit yesterday before the podcast. But um, I agree with you. I think it's a it, it, it's a unique experience, that's for sure. And then when it gets to when it slaps you in the face like you guys had, you get another opportunity to go do that. Got to take advantage.
0: Absolutely. Well, and then you just start thinking of the possibilities and opportunities for the future too. And just like this mm-hmm. year, like we're planning to go back down there, and and uh, you know, hopefully we won't. You know, we're not going to hit it at the end of a hunt this time. We're going to go there fresh, and we've got a game plan, and and also. <laughs> yeah. You know, like preparing for these hunts or knowing you're going to go on a hunt, you're able to prepare better than, than just seeing a great big bull and going, let's go grab a tag and trying to learn it on the fly. Um, you know, now we can prepare a little bit more for it. We can um, do a little bit more map research in in and around that unit and that mountain range, but checking out and transposing that information that we learned last year to other locations and other vantage points. And so you, you kind of go down there a little bit more prepared, um, you, you, you know, things more and you have ideas of where you're going to go and what you want to look at.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I don't think that there's, you know, there's a million different ways that you can prepare for a hunt and, and there's no right way or no wrong way. Um, whether it's doing your homework and figuring out the area or, or whether it's, uh, getting your body ready your mind ready, any of that stuff, but um, having that extra time and knowing what you drew, uh, you lucky dog, you, um, knowing, knowing what you drew and being able to kind of focus in on the area and, and the animal and all that stuff, it sure is, sure makes it a lot more, it, it, it stretches out the experience. It, it does that. Um, and I don't know if you're like this at all. I kind of am sometimes when, um, you, you get to the hunt a lot of the fun is just getting ready for it. And then once you're actually step your, you know, take your first step up the mountain on day one of a, an extended hunt, um, you do have to kind of check yourself, but you almost don't want it to start in a weird way. You kind of go through that weird. Okay. This is it. I, I don't want it to be over too fast. I, I, I want it to be everything that I, that I hoped it would be. Um, but you do it, all the preparations done. Now the doing is starting. And so, um there is kind of that weird weird sense of once once things get started you're you're kind of at least I am I'm a little bit bummed out that the preparation's over because that that's pretty darn fun to get ready for a hunt too
0: that's a lot of the fun isn't it is just the anticipation the planning the getting your gear ready and and i think everything you stated is really important when you're preparing for these hunts and like we say these you know these tags don't come around all that often and and so when you do get an opportunity to hunt a different state or even your home state or a different mountain range you have to take advantage of it and all that you know that planning and preparation it you know you you There's so many facets that go into being successful. It is the planning and preparation. It's scouting if you can get in there. It's physical preparation because you know you're going to demand the most out of of your body climbing up and down those mountains, weight on your back. Um, You're going to be hunting in the heat and that – you know, that trying to stalk a mule deer buck is pretty much like trying to hold a yoga pose for a couple hours. Like, you're constantly <laughs> trying – it's really yeah. tough to move slow, isn't it? Like, you wouldn't yeah. think it'd be that difficult, but just trying to control all your muscles as you're slowly putting your foot down. And, and that's just when you're when you're walking. And what about when you're crawling and you're – you know, and then that yeah. deer looks at you or you jump another deer and you have to be frozen for 15 minutes. Um, you know, it it, it takes a – You know, I think you have to prepare your body physically for for the stress you're going to put on it. And also preparing for you physically, you know, it helps that that mental attitude, helps you feel better on that hunt. And and I, you know, you can make a case for any of these being the most important. But I think that that mental gain, that mental aspect and preparing yourself for those hardships you're going to face, keeping yourself in a good mood, I think that's the key to consistent success.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I think you're right. There's – The, the, the older I get and the more guys I'm around, um, you realize that everybody does plan for their hunt, prepare for their hunt in different ways. Everybody's got their favorite gear they take and everybody's got their favorite exercises and all that stuff. Um, but you, you, you do, you kind of, I think the best thing that you can do in preparing for your next hunt is to sit down and think about, okay, I, I just got done with my hunt. What did I do wrong and what did I do right? And, and, and what kind of stuff can I focus on down the road? And I went back before we sat down uh, or before we started a podcast, I sat down and looked at some of my old notes after hunts uh, of some of the things that I had jotted down and sort of memorialized. And I was shocked at how many of the things that that I really complained about <laughs> that that hurt following a hunt. Um, I, I went back and looked at my Montana elk hunt from last year and my neck was giving me fits and it, it was specifically from laying down uh, on my belly. A bull had me pinned for two and a half hours and I, I had, I was watching him through my glass at about 90 yards waiting for him to make a mistake. And my neck was so sore for the next two days and I just jotted it down. Now, what am i gonna do to try to remedy that next time i don't know but you know it it is i I think your preparation for your next hunt and kind of figuring out what you should do or what might be a good idea to do starts with sort of wrapping up and recapping what you did the last time or or on on the hunt you just got done with that's it and 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 i you know that whole There is no off season thing. Um, you know, that I I think that kind of gets beat to death a little bit too much, but I, you know, if, if, if you are wanting to hunt, you want to be successful and you want to mentally and physically be ready for those hunts. I, I I don't think you do take much time off. You're, you're thinking about the last hunt you were on and you're planning for your next hunt or you're on a hunt. It's kind of a, a, a cycle that you go through and you're constantly preparing and you're tweaking your gear you're trying to find gear that uh you know like we kind of talked about yesterday you're kind of you're you're finding gear that you can use across as many climates as possible and then you kind of swap out things here and there depending on what you're going to face um so you're always messing with your gear tweaking with your gear tweaking with your bow messing with your arrows looking for new broadheads whatever um but physically um I've noticed down through the years I've changed and I've evolved the way that I will prepare for a hunt physically um, and and mentally uh, in that physical preparation um, I I think it's pretty important to uh, sort of anticipate some of the things that you're going to encounter and then over prepare for that and kind of what I mean about that is um, you know those days that you don't feel like you want to go out and and go for a run, or you you, you don't want to go to uh, uh, up on the mountain and hike around with a pack full of, of, of salt bags or whatever. Those are the days you should do it, is because that that that's going to hit you between the eyes uh, during a hunt. You're going to not mentally, you're just not going to be into it. And those are the days that you can go up on top of the hill and all of a sudden see something and make something happen. Um, and and likewise, i um, trying to anticipate. Um, conditions and, and mentally making yourself tougher. Um, if you're, if you're going to go for a run, do it at the time of day that really stinks. Do it in the heat of the day. Um, and really get your mind in a spot where you can kind of toughen yourself up. Um, you and I both talked yesterday too. Uh, yoga, you know, it, it, it's such a weird thing to have yoga and, and, hunting sort of cross paths because they certainly seem to be way different disciplines, but there's a lot of similarities and, and there's a lot of things that, uh, I, I just started practicing yoga not that long ago and it sounds like you've been doing it for a lot longer than I have, but it does bring a lot of benefits to, uh, hunting and it's sort of part of it is just taking yourself out of what you're normally doing and out of your comfort zone and, putting you in positions where you really have to think about what you're doing and focusing on what you're doing. And that translates out on the mountain for sure. It translates out on the mountain being mentally prepared and physically prepared. Um, and, and just sort of tailoring what you do during the quote off season uh, to, to not really train for specific instances, but sort of train your mind how to deal with things that come up that you don't anticipate. If that makes sense.
0: Oh, it makes complete sense. That was um so well articulated, Jason, like um just explaining that and I I love this stuff. I love mental game and and uh mental preparation and and I just if your mind believes it, you know, you can you can do anything out there if you can keep your mood up and and you believe, but I like what you say, we're wired the same like that uh, uh, suffering, like um, embracing the suffering, embracing the suck. You know, the, these trail runs aren't fun all the time when you're at mile 16 or mile 17 in the mountains and you still got to go out and a rain shower hits you and you're you're soaking wet. Like, you don't feel like being out there. Your socks are soaked. Like, you're not – all of a sudden, you're not having fun anymore. And, and you yeah. just got to – You know, it's it's all dictated by your mind. You know, you're not having fun anymore. Well, that's because you decided you're not having fun anymore. But you almost like spin it on yourself, and you almost say, you know, I like this. This is toughening me up. This is good for me. I know on a on a ten day hunt, I'm gonna be tired. I'm gonna be fatigued. I'm gonna want to quit. Like doing this right now is gonna transpose or translate into my tough backcountry hunt. And so I'm with you. Like like learning how to suffer, you, you. you don't feel like getting out on those runs, and especially not in the heat of the day. But making yourself get out there and do it—it's a win. It's successful, and you're you're toughening yourself up, and you're getting ready for that hunt. And, and nothing is a stronger force in your mind on these tough backcountry hunts, just like in your notes. Like we tend to forget about a lot of the negatives, a lot of the suffering, a lot of the pain. For some reason, our mind kind of blocks that out, and we just remember the good times, the the big buck that we shot or the big buck that we got. But but preparing yourself for that suffering, and, and and I like to do a lot of visualizations too, um, it, where I'll visualize things. And I I visualize making quality shots on animals and things going right. But I also will take myself to this dark place of things going wrong. Like I'm getting there and I'm going to the spot that I think is going to be so good, and there's guys in there. There's no deer in there. Uh, you know, I, I visualize missing a shot on a buck. Like what am I going to do after the missed shot? Like I I visualize that let that I've had before, that that frustration of stalking in so close and having days into this buck and then airballing a shot. And so I think about that. And I, I think about, Every time I miss, like I always get caught up in, in redemption and trying to arrow a good buck because I know I can, and then I make that next shot. So I'm trying to almost prepare myself for it on my first shot, you know, get get in the right headspace to where, you know, I really execute a quality shot because I know I have to. But, yeah, that, that mental power is so powerful, and I, I – you know, I just think that there's no limits to where we can go and and what we can do with our mind. And so I, I work on that constantly. We're we're totally wired the same, Jason. It's really fun to to hear you describe it too, uh, what you work on on your mental side of things.
1: Yeah, you 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 have to be mentally prepared for this stuff. And and I find myself more often than not, um, you know, if 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 you go into a hunt. Worried about something, and and again, I, I I hate to go back to my notes on this, but um, w- one of my one of my fears is always my feet. You know, if if your feet fail you, it's really tough to cover a lot of ground, no matter what the terrain's like. So I really worry about my feet, and I constantly try to uh, you know toughen up my feet, and and I wish I had tougher feet, and and uh, that I didn't get blisters and all that stuff, but. Uh, if I go into a hunt worried about my feet and taking care of my feet, usually things work out okay. You know, if, if you pay attention to the details like that and, and make sure that, uh, you're, you're cognizant of what's happening with, with just focusing on, um, your, your, I, I guess your, your weaknesses or, or those parts that could go wrong on you, um, that there, there's something to be said about that. And so that's one of my, one of my big things. I'm always trying to get my feet tougher and get them in better shape. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes things just happen that you don't anticipate, like my neck getting sore and it, it didn't mess with anything, but I'll tell you what, this, this year, I've actually tried to figure out ways to strengthen up my neck. So if I do get stuck in a spot like that, you know what to do and, and, and you know how to do it and how to stretch your neck out and get everything, uh, working the right way so that it, it, it doesn't bother you or it doesn't prematurely end a stalk or a hunt or, or whatever. Um, and, and you also bring up a pretty good point about, um, em- embracing the suck and realizing that, uh, yeah, this is terrible, but you know, I the, the thing that kind of gets me through those tough times when I either don't want to do it or while I'm out there doing whatever I'm doing, it starts to suck really bad. Um, if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly, you know, nobody else is out there doing what you're doing that day, getting ready for this hunt. So just, just sort of focus on stuff like that, that, Hey, I don't know anybody else that's out in this crappy weather doing this, you know, running on this trail or, or that's that's out in the heat of the day and just baking and sweating. Uh, everybody else is inside drinking lemonade, and, and I'm out here. This is what I'm doing, and this is going to make me tougher. So anything that comes up during my hunt, I know I'm going to be prepared enough, at least between my ears, to identify the issue, embrace it, engage it, know that it's going to pass, and be able to get around it and keep my hunt going. Um, so I, 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 that perspective is, I don't think it can be understated. I, I think people have to, um, if, if you're, if you're going to be able to go out and be successful on a bow hunt, you don't have to do all this stuff, but in the preparation for it, if you can just sort of click your mind into a different spot and, um, sort of think about things a little bit differently and get out of your comfort zone while you're getting ready for that hunt. Man, a lot of those things that keep people in the truck or keep people off the trails aren't going to, aren't going to stop you. You know, you're going to be the guy that's out there that's slogging through the mud or, or baking in the 105 degree heat, crawling on your belly after a good antelope or, or whatever. Um, so I, I, I don't think that I, I think the, the preparation part of it, the mental preparation is a big deal. And, and I'm a big believer in, Really trying to get yourself outside of your comfort zone. And that's why, um, you know, like, like we were talking about the, the, the yoga practice, uh, I was the last guy on earth anybody would ever see in a yoga class. Um, but it was something that I just thought, Hey, w- why not? It just, uh, I have zero balance. I, I, I'm not very good on my feet. And there are certainly some things that I could do better and do differently. Um, and so I just started, you know, kind of trying to understand how yoga would maybe be able to relate to the mountain a little bit better. And over the last year or so, it's really come together. And I've really realized how, uh, get yourself out of that comfort zone. If you can just get your head in the right spot, man, there's a lot of benefits to putting yourself in positions that you really don't like and you don't, you're not necessarily comfortable with. But if you can overcome them, it certainly gives you that much more confidence uh once something hits you between the eyes um on a hunt or you know on a hike in or a hike out or whatever,
0: yeah or life in general or uh, like life you said yeah. yeah i I'm a huge fan of putting yourself. Outside your your comfort levels, I, I I think you like you say you 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 couldn't overstate that enough. Um, it, that's how you grow as a person, and and when you get comfortable and and just do what you're comfortable with, um, you know I I also, you know I, I think that the human body like I think humans were meant to be pushed. We're we're meant to be you know to like it gives us purpose. You know that's why we have so much passion into bow hunting because it's so difficult and something you have to to work so hard at. You know and 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 that that uh that that mental strength yeah you just can't lean on that enough on a hunt it just um it 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 really to keep pushing day after day you know these tough hunts they're gonna test your commitment they're gonna want to push you to fail you know and and push you to quit and and you have to be a strong enough person to to push past that and i i love what you said like Not focusing on your weakness, but, um, like thinking about your weakness or thinking about potential hurdles that you're going to hit on this, on this hunt, things that you are going to run into like your feet and then spending time toughening up your feet. And like you said, on your neck, that was one of those unforeseen challenges. And there are going to be unforeseen challenges that come up during a hunt that you, that you have to tackle head on and that you have to beat. But, but a lot of these you can prepare for. And so like your feet or like this yoga, like, like yoga, uh, yeah. It, what it's helped me with more so than anything is it's given me more flexibility and so you know I've had a stiff neck on hunts before and and usually not from laying down on an elk but just sleeping with no pillow on my puffball jacket <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, maybe it's yeah. my bino harness and you get that stiff neck and is it going to make me quit no I'm going to keep going but it, it definitely affects my mood it definitely affects you know it weighs on me mentally and I'm definitely not as effective as I could be but this, this yoga has given me the this, this balance to where now I have flexibility and I have strength and so now my back doesn't go out as much or my neck doesn't go out as much or, or very rarely or at all just because I have this flexibility to kind of twist and move and so I don't hit those awkward positions where I would pull something out of place but yeah I think focusing on those you know a big one of mine which you can probably relate to I swear this comes up in every podcast but is the lightning in Nevada like I have to prepare yeah. myself for the mental challenge that is the lightning in Nevada because I know it's going to blow me up and you're trying to live at the top of the mountain and it's dangerous <laughs> you you have a responsibility to your family to come home and, and I know your odds of getting struck by lightning are fairly low but, but those guys that have low odds of lightning, they're not living in the Nevada high country trying to shoot a buck either. You know that right, When you're right, up there, right. it gets dangerous. And so for me, I have to prepare myself mentally for how I'm going to handle these situations. I'm going to choose a safe camp. I'm going to choose a camp where I can ride out any storm. I'm going to make sure not to push my limits on a stock. I'm not going to stay you know above a bedded buck when I see a lightning storm come in. I'm going to get to a safe place because it's just too dangerous and it's not worth it like no bucks worth dying for you have to live to hunt another day but i have to prepare myself so i'll stay out there for the duration of the hunt and, and i won't come back early or get spooked off the mountain and so you know that's something that i specifically have to train for so i just thought you made such a great point of paying attention to any weakness or anything that can come up during a hunt that can be a challenge all right guys um, well yeah, this conversation went long with Jason, so I thought I'd break this up in two parts which makes it easier to download and I am not going to make make you wait till next week. We'll try to release them all on the same day so you can listen to the conversation in its entirety. Um, but it is broke up into two parts. But uh, yeah, just really fun. And you guys heard I drew a Nevada tag. Oh, my God. I uh, So surprised on the podcaster. I almost expected not to. I haven't drawn the last two years there. And I just love hunting Nevada for mule deer. And so, um, yeah, I have a tag in my pocket this year for high country mule deer august 10th in nevada so as you can imagine i've been going crazy on uh google earth and on onyx maps and um uh, really trying to learn the unit that i drew it's a new place for me um never been there, never stepped foot in it, but, um, um, Nevada just has some awesome isolated mountain ranges and, and it's got some great high country and it's got some remote country to it. And, um, yeah, I just can't wait. I am pumped beyond belief. So now just trying to plan some scouting missions and, and, uh, get ready to, to set her free here in Nevada here. in what is it like a couple months away, August 10th? Um, let's see. It's, June 1st here today or June 1st tomorrow. So yeah, um, I'm going to release this as I'm in Hawaii. So that's why I'm doing this early. But uh, yeah, just um, really cool. Uh, just really fortunate. Uh, these tags, you know, they just don't come all the time anymore. And so you know, they, they're they getting tougher and tougher to get. So when you get the opportunity to go explore a, a new place in the lower 48 up in the high country for, for mule deer, for any species for that matter, I just can't wait to, to uh, immerse myself in the experience and have fun with it. So Uh, thanks a bunch to Jason really enjoyed the conversation he has so much knowledge about Nevada uh, and I so much I I really like his uh, uh, approach is different than the average guy and and he really thinks about uh, his preparation and so preparing for a hunt just made for a a great conversation Um, sponsor for today's show Eberly Stock Packs thanks to those guys again just building great packs Um, can't wait! I'm gonna use some here in Hawaii, and uh, like I've been telling you guys, I got a couple different models for this season that I'm trying out. I've been using that little big top here for bear season. I really like that one, so I think I'm gonna be able to use that for a lot of mule deer hunting as well. Um, but just a great company. They they build durable packs that pack the weight right, and so can't thank those guys enough for for sponsoring the podcast. Um, over there at Eastman's. Yeah. I released that new article coming out in the back country issue. Um, it's coming up. It's, uh, on, uh, mule deer stalking. So, and, you know, in, in writing, it's just this this different platform where you really get to pick and choose your words, and you get to go back over what you've written, and you just really get to think about the point you're trying to make or the direction you're going to try to take the article. And so, as much as I in, enjoy podcasting, which I, I I love, and that's a, a great platform, you know, is you, you get to put your thoughts out, you know, in real time. Um, and and Writing similar, it's just different. So it's really fun to, to flex those muscles as well and, and really see if I can write the, the best article I can write and, and and then accompany it with great pictures. So that'll be coming out in the backcountry issue. Uh, I'm going to get together here with Guy and Ike soon. I believe it's when I get back from Hawaii, like June 18th or so. So i um, going to really try to get those guys on a recording. They're just – they're a wealth of knowledge. I mean, um, to grow up in Wyoming in to, to be able to, to hunt, like, um, Ike has so much knowledge, well, and Guy does too, just about h- horses, and horseback hunting, and, um, you know, elk are just meant to be hunt off horseback in that remote country that Wyoming holds, and, um, these guys just have so much experience, and then they love to hunt mule deer, and hunt mule deer all over the west, but, uh, there's just so much knowledge there that I, I want to tap into more, and get really good recordings, and, and also fun recordings too, those guys are pretty lighthearted so, um, yeah, we're, we're going to get them on the podcast here. I'm, I'm thinking up ideas now that I can kind of pin them down on and get some really good recordings out of them. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Um, with that, yeah, I'm on a plane tomorrow morning, 4 o'clock, so just trying to get absolutely everything done I can here and um, got to get these podcasts ready to go and release while I'm gone and, um, yeah, a few other things. And uh, I'll be on my way and on a plane in the morning. So, man, I'm just stoked. I just can't wait. It's just... Uh, it's so fun over there. So um, yeah, really excited, really excited to take my family and uh, just couldn't be better for me. And um, summer's summer's just moving along already. We're already into June. Can you believe that? We're in the heck did Mago. But uh, yeah, all good. I hope everything's good with you guys. Hope you guys are drawing some tags, planning some hunts for the fall and, and working hard towards your goals. So uh, thanks as always for all the support. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, things are growing. It's amazing. So uh, thanks again, guys. And I'll check in with you next week.